In 1896, the United States was experiencing what we now call a recession. The Panic of 1896 had made life tough on everyone, and many of the companies in the highly competitive railroad business were looking for new ways to make money. One man, William George Crush, came up with a smashing idea. His idea was so popular that it drew enough people to create the second largest city in Texas for a single day, and then subsequently got him fired. Learn more about the crash at Crush on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. This episode is sponsored by Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. I recently had the chance to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond, and I can attest to its exceptional aromas with hints of caramel and vanilla intertwining with its oakiness, which provide a well-rounded flavor profile. Taking a sip is akin to experiencing a piece of bourbon history firsthand. Heaven Hill Distillery may be America's most quintessential bourbon distillery. Established in 1935 after the end of Prohibition, the distillery was established by the Shapira family and has remained a family-owned distillery to this day. In 1897, Congress passed the Bottled in Bond Act, which set forth strict rules for any bourbon labeled Bottled in Bond. Heaven Hill Bottled in Bond Bourbon goes beyond the stringent requirements of the law by aging its bourbon for seven years, not four. The end result is a gold medal-winning bourbon that truly stands out. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill Bottled in Bond. Heaven Hill reminds you, think wisely, drink wisely. This episode is sponsored by ButcherBox. Summer is right around the corner, and that means cookouts. No matter what your preferred food is for a cookout or a barbecue, ButcherBox can help you make it the best. If you want to serve up some hamburgers, ButcherBox has grass-fed ground beef to make the perfect smash burger. Want to cook up some steaks? Well, ButcherBox has that too, with some of the best cuts of steak, such as New York Strip, ribeye, and filet mignon. Do you like grilled chicken? Well, ButcherBox has some of the best pasture-raised chicken that you will find anywhere. And if you really want to wow people at your next cookout, you can try grilling some of their wild-caught salmon on a cedar plank. Sign up at ButcherBox.com daily and get a special deal. ButcherBox is offering my listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com daily and use code daily to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. This episode is sponsored by Audible.com. My audiobook recommendation today is Nothing Like It in the World, The Men Who Built the Transcontinental Railroad, 1863 to 1869, by Stephen Ambrose. This is the story of the men who built the Transcontinental Railroad. In Ambrose's hands, this enterprise comes to life. The U.S. government pitted two companies, the Union Pacific and the Central Pacific Railroads, against each other in a race for funding, encouraging speed over caution. At its peak, the workforce approached the size of Civil War armies with as many as 15,000 workers on each line. You can get a free one-month trial to Audible and two free audiobooks by going to audibletrial.com slash everything everywhere or by clicking on the link in the show notes. Marketing and promotion are not unique to the modern world. Ever since people had money, other people have figured out ways to get them to part with it. A case in point is one William George Crush. Crush was a passenger agent for the Missouri-Kansas-Texas Railroad. It was known as the Katy Railroad due to its initials K and T. 
The Katy Railroad had just extended their line from Dallas to Houston. As part of the line extension, the railroad also upgraded its fleet of engines from 30-ton engines to larger 60-ton engines, the larger engines being able to pull more cars and carry more freight and passengers. The extension of the line and the purchase of new engines came at a very bad time. The Panic of 1896 had set in and the economy had gotten soft. The company needed to think of ideas to get more passengers. William Crush had just such an idea. What Crush proposed was to take two of the old 30-ton steam engines, put them four miles apart from each other, let them build up steam, get them traveling at full speed, and then have them smash into each other in a spectacular head-on collision. And I should note that Crush was a friend of P.T. Barnum. This had been done before. Just a few months earlier, the Columbus and Hocking Valley Railroad in Ohio staged a train collision at Buckeye Park, which was an amusement park owned by the railroad. Over 20,000 people showed up to watch the spectacle. It was a financial success, as almost all of the 20,000 people had purchased train tickets to get there, as well as buying food and souvenirs at the event. Crush wanted to do something similar. He pitched the idea to the upper management, and they agreed. They would crash two of their old trains together on September 15th, 1896. The railroad wouldn't sell tickets to the event per se, but they would have a special rate for anyone in the state of Texas who wanted to buy a train ticket to come and see. The price was $2 round trip, which is the equivalent of $62 today. They borrowed a circus tent from the Ringling Brothers Circus. They had a restaurant serving meals, a midway, souvenirs were for sale, and there were medicine shows. It had the atmosphere of a carnival or a fair. The grounds of the event were located 10 miles north of Waco, Texas. There was a big sign welcoming everyone to the pop-up city of Crush, Texas, named in the honor of George Crush, the originator of the event. They selected two steam engines for the collision. One was painted green with red stripes, and one was painted red with green stripes. Each engine pulled six cars, which was used to display advertising. Each of the cars was filled with wooden railway ties to add to the weight. A special four-mile track was laid alongside the main track as to not ruin the main railway. Each end of the track was on a small hill so that the trains would get a bit of a downhill head start. They would meet together in a small valley in the middle. The day before the event, each train was tested to estimate the speed and the point at which they would meet. One thing you have to know about steam engines is that even if you aren't crashing them together, they can still be really dangerous. They run on compressed steam and the high pressures in the steam boiler could, on occasion, explode. Crush and his team got the opinion of engineers who assured them that this was safe. The boilers wouldn't explode even if they were involved in a collision. They had hoped that 20,000 people would show up. They got way more. Somewhere between 40 and 60,000 people ended up attending. An exact count was impossible because there were no tickets to enter the field and not everyone arrived by train. The pop-up city of Crush was, for one day, the second largest city in Texas. At 5 p.m., the event commenced. The two trains slowly came together in the middle for photos. The two conductors came out to shake hands between the trains. The trains then backed up to prepare for their sprint to the middle. Each conductor had instructions for exactly when they would start the train and what the exact settings would be. At the appointed time, each conductor started the engine, tied down the whistle, and after four turns of the wheel, jumped out. The public was held back 200 yards from the track for safety, although the police were having a hard time keeping the crowds back that far. They hadn't expected crowds this large. The approach of the trains was described by the Dallas Morning News. They said, quote, 
The rumble of the two trains, faint and far off at first, but growing near and more distinct with each fleeting second, was like the gathering forth of a cyclone. Near and nearer they came, the whistles of each blowing repeatedly, and the torpedoes which had been placed on the track exploding in an almost continuous round like the rattle of musketry. They rolled down at a frightful rate of speed to within a quarter mile of each other. Near and nearer as they approached the fatal meeting place, the rumble increased, the roaring grew louder. Unquote. The trains hit an estimated top speed of 45 miles per hour, or 72 kilometers per hour. When the trains hit each other, it did not go as the engineers told them it would. The boilers in both trains exploded immediately on impact. The 200-yard distance was designed to protect the spectators from the collision of the train, not from two boilers exploding. Hot metal shrapnel and wood splinters were sent everywhere. Two men and a girl were killed from the debris. Several people were seriously injured, including the official photographer for the event, who lost an eye. Scores of people suffered minor injuries. After the crash and the explosion, thousands of people rushed to the crash site to pick up pieces of the wreckage to keep as souvenirs. News of the event spread around the world, and the next day, George Crush was fired. What the Katy Railroad thought would happen in the aftermath of the death and injuries, however, didn't happen. Everyone who was in attendance went home and told their friends. Most people weren't even aware that anyone had died, and if they did, it was just a mention that they heard about after the event. In fact, there was almost no negative publicity. The railroad quickly settled with the families of everyone who was killed or injured. The railroad rehired George. The great ragtime composer Scott Joplin composed a song called The Great Crush Collision March, a month after the collision. The Great Crash at Crush actually began a trend in the United States, which would last for another 30 years, of staging train crashes. One man, Joe Connolly, destroyed 146 trains between 1896 and 1932, mostly at state fairs and other festivals. Connolly would up the ante by strapping dynamite to trains or covering them in gasoline so they would be on fire when they crashed. The last staged train crash for the public occurred in 1935. After that, there wasn't as much interest, and trains just got too expensive. Even though it hasn't been done in 85 years, I have to admit, if they were to stage a train crash again and put on, like, Disney Plus or something, I'd probably subscribe just to see it. Executive producer of Everything Everywhere Daily is James Makala. The associate producer is Thor Thompson. Remember to leave a five-star review to get your review read on the show. They can be left at Apple Podcasts, Podcast Republic, or wherever you listen to the show. Also, you can help support the show over at Patreon.com. Patrons can get merchandise like t-shirts and hoodies, as well as having direct access to provide suggestions for future episodes.